Hello and welcome to The Entrepreneurs on Monocle Radio, the show all about inspiring people, innovative companies and fresh ideas in global business. Coming up today on the programme, we hear from the founder of a design-forward watch company that's defined by its purpose. One of the things that we agreed upon very, very early was that we wanted to build something that would hopefully become a future heirloom. Then we head to Zurich to hear about an all-natural soap company that refuses to compromise on its values. Our goal has always been to make a real difference with our product, so we don't want to stay in a small range. We want as many people as possible to be able to to use good products in their everyday life. This is The Entrepreneurs, with me, Tom Edwards. You're with The Entrepreneurs. Jas Minhas is the co-founder and CEO of Aera, a Swiss-made watch and design company featuring only the highest quality components, but without the super premium prices. Jas, I'm delighted to say, joins me in the studio now. A warm welcome to Midori House, Jas. Great to be talking to you. You're a bit of a, a serial entrepreneur, if you like. We'll get to that shortly. But I wonder, were you always one of those kids, even growing up, that everybody kind of knew would end up as a, as a CEO? I do feel so because, you know, my father, I was the eldest son and my dad was my buddy. He was the guy that I hung out with. And, you know, he was an entrepreneur himself, self-made, came to the UK from India in the, the late 50s, early 60s, hanging out with him and just seeing what he did. You know, for me, he, he was my best friend and my hero. So really, you know, and the, and the fact that he was a watchmaker, watch repairer, watch reseller, and getting my first watch from him at 10 years old, I do remember saying to him one day, I'm going to have my own watch company. He tells me that I also said that I have a slight recollection <laughs> of, of saying that, but he tells me that's what I said. And so here we are 40 odd years later, and now I am involved in my own watch company. It has come to pass. There's a lovely sort of circularity of that, the hands of a clock and all the rest of it. It feels like it was inevitable then that you would set up a watch company. But obviously, I mentioned you've had several other businesses, exits before, big successes. Was there always a sense for you just that you were biding your time, if you like, and that it was always going to come back to, to watches? For sure. It's been a, a very interesting journey. I was in the watch industry. I left university, joined my family business. So we were in manufacturing and, and distribution of watch parts. We were trading automatic watches out of Gibraltar, actually, the UK and Gibraltar into North Africa in the late 90s, early 2000s, actually selling automatic watches, Seiko 5, Citizen Citizen Automatic. And, you know, those days it was they were like commodities. And so really you were buying them from one place, seeing the price shift the next day, finding a, somebody that you would sell it to. And so I did enjoy that, but yet it, it didn't really fulfill for me, what I was really looking to do. And I think that one of the, when I said earlier that that really for me being this brand owner and watch, you know, I was going to create my own company and call it luck, chance, coincidence, but went on this journey and met some beautiful people along the way that really put their arm around me and kind of really introduced me to brands and opened the world up for me. I was a kid from Birmingham, grew up in Hansworth and used to come to London once in a while. It's meeting specific people that really opened me up to these opportunities. And that's where I really fell into this world of investing into startups. And really at the beginning, I was, as I said, this kid, I didn't really have the cash. And ultimately, I first opportunity that came about, bizarre story, but it was in a lift in New York. Somebody saw my watch, 
We started talking. We ended up figuring out we were actually going to the same event. And ultimately, that brand was Jawbone. And it was the designer, Eve Bihar. And, um, and really, the rest is history. You know, for me, that business was, you know, I got involved and I raised the money with some friends and family, put it into it. And then I worked in the company and really built it with the founders and the rest of the team to a, it became a great business. And it became big pretty quickly, actually. Was that helpful? Sort of at that stage of your entrepreneurial and investment journey, was there a degree to which you thought, hey, this is pretty easy. <laughs> find some find some like-minded people, put some money in and the rest takes care of itself. Or, or was it, am I slightly oversimplifying? No, it was. You know, I think that the, the people who were involved were, you know, very passionate. They were very bright. Always surround yourself, they say, with people that are smaller than you. And, and they, they <laughs> I definitely... I find that very easy. They, they, did, they, they definitely were. And so... For me, coming from, as I said, the background of, you know, watches, selling watches into automatic watches into Africa, selling watch components and parts, building watches in China to then building this global really became a overnight success. And we were going against the grain, building a Bluetooth headset with noise cancelling technology that was 130, 150 US dollars, whereas the Bluetooth market was a race to the bottom. And so that success really catapulted the business, the, the founders. And myself, too, because it really helped me to make my reputation. Amazing calling card. Take me then forwards. Let's bring the clock forwards. 2018, you've carried this passion for, for watchmaking and you've developed this sensitivity and interest and a passion for brands and brand building and investing in them. Early January 2018, so what, a whisker over five years ago, in Geneva, another group of like-minded individuals come together or are brought back together and they start a different conversation. Tell us a bit about that moment. Was it serendipity? Was it like all these things, a little bit of luck, but also lots of hard work? What brought that group to that moment? It actually started about six weeks before that in Stockholm. So I had come back from a trip from Kenya. I was based out there for a few years working on another startup. And I was in Stockholm with Olaf and we were just talking about what I was going to do. And I said to him, kind of stuck really i'm coming back to england but i don't have a project to work on and i threw it out there to him i said we always said about doing a watch company together what about starting that and olaf paused for about 15 seconds and put his hand across and said let's do it and that is really how wow. it started and so for us you know we had already talked about where we felt and the reason why we do our own watch company and one of the key things was having people with mutual love, passion, and respect, you know, around us, and also being very talented. And so really, we went around to really calling our friends, mainly because we knew we couldn't pay them. And <laughs> ultimately, you know, they'd pick up the phone. So when we called them, and so really people from the background of journalism to historians, watch historians, to people from public relations, to Savile Row, to branding, design, manufacturing and really so we built this collective of uh, uh, great friends friends that we built friendships that we built over the last 20 25 years and really came together and so we called them up and everybody who said yes we said well how about we meet in it was the watch fair the geneva watch fair and a few of the olaf was going to be there i was going out there anyhow and we asked them to come out and and to meet us there and that's where it all started we literally sat in a hotel and had a few drinks and that's really very organic it was very quick very organic uh, you know people that we'd 
that we did bring to get involved with us, you know, really, we had spoken about this, you know, over years, about doing something together. There you have it. But isn't it one of those truisms that's supposedly about business? Don't go into business with your friends. Isn't that one of the things? It sounds like you brought a, a lifetime's worth together and it seems to be going pretty well. People do say that. I feel that it can work very, very well. It's been fantastic because we really have not had one argument because when you have that mutual respect and love for one another, because it's not just work, it is that you, you've spent time outside, you've built relationships, you know one another quite intimately. And so the discussions are, they're constructive. You don't criticize, you don't, you know, nobody has ego, nobody has the pride. And so, and ultimately one person had to take the mantle as leading the company and making final decisions. And myself and Olaf, we decided that it was a British company, that we wanted it to be based here in the UK and that I would actually be, you know, run the company uh, from the offset. And that respect from all of our friends, that was apparent that in the end, they left the final decisions with me. But I have to say, 90 to 95% of them were collective decisions. A power of a passion play, I guess, right? That, that it cuts through a lot, of the, a lot of the white noise. Just on that point about British company, I guess if people are talking about watchmaking, meetings happening in Geneva, we know about Switzerland and almost what that means as a brand in and of itself when we're talking about watchmaking. Was that a live conversation? What, what was that moment, the decisiveness about being British? Obviously, again, an incredible pedigree in, in clock and watchmaking here, of course, in addition, but Switzerland represents something different. Why, why were you so sure? For us, it was myself and Olaf, Olaf being based in Sweden, myself being a British citizen, being based here predominantly for most of my life. And, you know, we really felt that the heritage of British watch brands and the fact that I was also going to be a the CEO of the company and based here in the UK, that ultimately we, we formed the company here. The Swiss part, we do understand, you know, we, at the beginning of this journey, we are going to have to, we are, and we will have to outsource our manufacturing. And so I would love to have had the finances to build a, the, the manufacturing base and for the components and assembly here in the UK. And maybe that will be for time to come. But we knew that we knew our way around Switzerland from our time in the industry and and friends that could support us. And so, you know, and of course, you know, Swiss pedigree, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's really unrivaled. And so, and thus, this is why it was, we're a British company with a Swiss engine. It's the best of both worlds. Now, let's talk a bit then about the timepieces. If you have this deep passion, you're working with other enthusiasts. How do you even work out where to start? Is it about functionality first? Do you want to talk first about design language? Is it about, ironically, for watches, a timelessness in your approach to the design, the manufacturer? How do you start at that moment? Everyone's on board. Who needs to be? Where do you begin? All of the above. Over the years when we spoke, we, we saw that what we felt was that there was something missing in the sense of items, products, you know, should have functionality and, and purpose to them. We loved contemporary design. I've been very blessed to work with many industrial designers and architects and also fashion designers. And something that, for me, something that's timeless, something was very, very important. Craft, the use of materials. And ultimately, one of the things that we, that we agreed upon very, very early was that we wanted to build something that would hopefully become a future heirloom. You know, for us putting that all together, you know, the price point, we knew that we wanted this also to be something that would be the pricing to be contemporary, to actually to be something that punch well above its weight, but actually to be in terms of the product quality, design, the offering, but but at a price point that was something that was 
reachable now. We have priced our watches. They are still in the four-digit digit mark, but we do know that what we've put into them, the price would be way, way above what we're actually selling it for. I mean, that's about delivering value, which is... I know few businesses that uh, retain a good sense of what delivering value is that, that aren't successful. And then talk to us about the evolution then. So that's the origin story. Once you get into the nitty gritty, how hands-on are you in terms of designing? Talk about uh, allowing the craftspeople to do their work. Do you like to get stuck into every every detail? And, and interestingly, can you see in the products, in the, the watches that you see on people's wrists, can you see your, your own kind of fingerprint almost, Jess? So yesterday I was packing parcels and contacting our agent at FedEx. So <laughs> that should give you an idea the about how of hands, success. of course, the thing about being a, a startup CEO is that, well, no job can be too, too small, no jobs too big and no jobs too small. Um, very hands-on. So, you know, at this beginning stage, you know, one of the things that was important to us was to the proof of concept and really building this with a very small team being quite lean and getting it to the point that we've got to now where the, I would say the reaction from our customers to, to what we have built has been truly fantastic. Something that we, we aspired to. And then when it happened in reality, it's been just joy. We feel so rewarded with the, with the feedback that we've got. It was a collective uh, process, but there were certain things that I really felt that would add to this product proposition. And so Olaf and I both have, we've launched with two watches, a pilot and a, and a diver's watch. The pilot is my baby and the diver is Olaf's baby. So we are the the fathers of, of these products or father and mother, however you want to <laughs> want to look at it. But every time, you know, I do look at it for us, it was it was really about simplicity. When you look at design, as I said, I've been very blessed that I've worked with a lot of people that know a lot more about design and have been successful in design than I, than I have. But ultimately those learnings and really, it was really making decisions. It was almost, no, it was as important of what we left out as it was what we put into these timepieces. As designers and as people that, are, that really love and are passionate, there are still tweaks we'd love to, we'd love to make. There's always time. I should point out, listeners, that Jess was looking at his watch whilst talking about that. Describe it. Use the use the power of words, Jess. You've got a well. I don't know what's that. A kind of sky blue, sky blue uh, wristband, but it's striking. It's simple. You can sense there's a complexity and a degree, a level of detail and consideration that's gone into it. But it is timeless, as we said, ironically, perhaps for a for a watch. What's the? How would you describe it over the airwaves? That's uh, this is going to be a first. So, <laughs> so it was something that when we first started off, you know, we we are we have built our business around tool watches, the quintessential, but tools being the pilot, the diver, the GMT, the field, and the the chronograph. And we started that when we started off, we said, okay, we're going to start with two that are very they're very different watches. So we started with a pilot and a diver. When it came to the the size of the actual the watches themselves the pilot we we decided upon a 43 millimeter but one of the challenges one of the things that we we did was to say well actually it may have a great large diameter but ultimately the way that we wanted to design it was that actually it would be very fitted to the wrist and so i would say that the ergonomic design of the way that the bottom of the case actually so you've got the, the top of the case which is domed and then it actually tapers in and then the fitted strap that we built so that it actually really would give this snug fit when it came to when we talk about function and, and purpose, you know, the idea of a 
of this watch and the curved one-piece dial and the also the curved glass the idea was to create a a magnification that so that actually if you were flying a plane or let's face it the 99% of our 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 customers although we do have actually two pilots um who have who've actually bought bought our watches but but you know they're dry, you know using it while they're driving and the idea was you could actually have a flick of your wrist and actually be able to see the time without actually having to to move your hand to a 12 o'clock position one of the challenges of doing this was of having a one piece curved dial was having the lumen over and to be quite significant at night and so because also we had a challenge of how to make a really matte finished velvet dial and we came across a, a great lady who offered to actually hand fill the Luminova on our watches and so for us being tool watches you know the the Luminova needed to be as I said you know very very bright and so we went about actually kind of having these all hand filled and so you have real craftsmanship mm -hmm. in these watches at this price point and this was something that we, we really wanted to to really have at the forefront of our proposition and you know there's always this kind of you're weighing off price versus like the mm. materials that you use and at the same time we didn't really want to scrimp and save but we had to make it price points that we wanted it to be and a really kind of reverse engineer and so using the movement which we knew was a industry workhorse movement uh perfect marriage of form and function just i want to ask you one very very quick question which is about calibration not in a watch context don't look alarmed what about calibration of success? We began by talking about your successes uh, as an entrepreneur uh, and this kind of wonderful full circle, these conversations with your father and now the successful launch and this, this growing brand. Are you always recalibrating what success means? I always go back to something that my brother, my younger brother, Bapinda, said to me many, many years ago. And he said to me, life, Jas, is about making good memories. And so for me, success is really having... I love to work hard. I love to succeed in terms of, I would say, in terms of making error or any business, you know, a successful proposition. But, but really it's about, for me, success is spending time with the people that I love and doing the things that I love, whether it's with them or by myself. That was Jas Minhas. And to find out more, just head over to era.co. You're listening to The Entrepreneurs. From craftsmanship with purpose in the watch world to a value-driven soap company that refuses to compromise on its principles. Soda was founded in Zurich in 2013 to bring a more sustainable approach to consumer products. The brand manages every aspect of the production process as well as distributing to all of their partners and there are many, including airline Swiss. Since their last appearance in Monocle back in 2020, Zerda has expanded and grown, now in 500 stores across Europe and the United States. And I'm delighted to say we're joined now by the co-CEO and creative director of Zerda, Hannah Olsen Orchestrum, uh, who is in our Zurich studio. Hannah, great to talk to you once again. Um, you're a bit of a, a jack-of-all-trades, I guess, in the business. Can I begin by asking you about that? Is that actually the only way to approach being a, an entrepreneur, particularly at launch, kind of doing a bit of everything? I believe so too. I want to be doing a lot of things. So through being my own boss, I can allow myself to do everything all over. And 
now we are trying to focus the company a bit more and get efficient to be sustainable also in energy and in the, in what we put out. But for me, it has always been important to be able to be spreading my interests and uh, workload on, on different areas. Well, let's talk a little bit about what sums up those interests, because if we go right back to the beginning of the Soda origin story, 10 years ago now, it's it's hard to believe, isn't it? I guess that it's a, a, a decade. There was always at the centre this focus on sustainability. And actually, now everybody talks a good game about that. You You guys were really ahead of the curve. Does it please you how much the market in terms of the products that you make and the conversations around sustainability, how much that's moved on, how much even lots of the big players have moved to follow the kind of principles actually that were part of the origin of your brand? Yes, totally. If we don't move in that direction, I don't see a real future at all. So definitely we want this to move a lot, lot further than where we are today. Ten years ago, it's a short period of time when you think about what has happened in the minds of people. We had long conversations when we started the brand about why we do this, what the main purpose for thinking sustainably behind products and uh, production and sourcing and logistics, why this is really important. I mean, today it's it's unbelievable that anyone would even ask that question. So the focus is, for us, it's good that it has become a wider interest, also because we can focus on other topics than explaining why we work sustainably. We also have a lot more to source from or, or offerings and ideas that we can also use within our work because you can't do everything on your own and we don't want to do everything on our own. And uh, nowadays there is so much wider range to, to feed from. I want to talk to you about a couple of the sort of big wins, though. Interesting milestones, I guess, Hannah, if you like. And one is this partnership with Swiss. And, you know, I think Tyler and, and Monocle and Wink know a little bit about working with Swiss and how, how amazing that can be and what a transformational moment it can be. But I guess it's one of these amazing moments where your brand gets to reach a completely different audience. It gets to travel literally more widely. And it shows that you can extend high quality, you can extend the reach of these well-conceived and created products to a much wider audience, perhaps even than you would have imagined it back in 2013. Tell us a bit about partnerships with Swiss and other ones like that and how important that is for the ongoing growth of, of the brand and its story. In uh, 2015, we made our first own soap product and in 16 already we were contacted by Swiss regarding reformulation of their care products that they were offering. They were also getting on the sustainability topic and the locality Swissness and they saw a potential partner in us, which we gladly accepted. Our goal has always been to make a real difference with our product, so we don't want to stay in a small range. We want as many people as possible to be able to, to use good products in their everyday life. And with Swiss, we were getting someone who was putting faith in us and also pushing our limits a bit faster and further than we would have done in that time. Many interesting conversations about where could we expand the product line, where could we change the way that Swiss works with the products. Now, for instance, we're introducing refill for their onboard products. We introduced refill for their lounge products a long time ago already. I'm not sure, but I 
don't think there are many airlines that refill their lavatory bottles up until this date. Swiss is now uh, doing this. And this is a very important thing to us that we have someone that we can um, grow together with and who listens and who wants to give us the chance to change things also in their fields, which has been very strong with them. And we are also in with other customers, like uh, the five-star hotels in the beginning were no-go for us, not because we did not want to supply them, but because their rules were um, to get the five stars, you had to have throw away amenities. And this was not corresponding to our way of working and we could not supply them. This has also changed over the years. No, I love that. And it's proof positive that that's a message. If you stick to your convictions and your principles, you can build something really special. Hannah, I wanted to ask you briefly about, you mentioned Swissness a little bit earlier. Minded that this has been, a, you know, an interesting week with the eyes on Switzerland for one reason or another, you know, various financial stories and all the rest. Is it a moment of questioning, do you think, for Swissness with, you know, people have asked questions about, I don't know, you know, with Credit Suisse about the efficacy of the banking system. Do these kinds of things sometimes challenge assumptions that people make about Swissness? Is it a bit of a moment for people who are in Zurich and elsewhere in the country to reflect on what that means and is it a challenging moment, do you think, for Switzerland a little bit, even in sort of soft power terms? Maybe, yes. But the main problem is, in my point of view, that if Swissness is real, Swissness is something that is very good. And we have such good quality and knowledge and materials and industry. The problem is when it starts being just more of a label on a product. And for us, it's very important that we are producing everything in our factory. All the care products that we are selling are made within our factory. We are not handing this out to anyone else to produce. And this is not just because we think we are the best at handling our own product, but it's also because we need to know what has happened to the product, how it's been made. And I do think that Swissness... It's not just about where the brand has been designed or where the brand has been is being sold or where it's founded. Swissness also has something to do with locality. And that's where we stand on the point of we are not using made in Switzerland. It's not a, a stamp on the product to sell more outside of Switzerland or to get people connected more to it. It's a, really a transparency story of we have made this product in Switzerland. That was Hannah Olsen Orchestrum, co-founder and creative director of Soda. And you can find out more about the brand and the amazing work that Hannah and her team are doing by heading to soda.ch. That's all for this episode of The Entrepreneurs. We'll be back next week. And do look out in the meantime for Eureka coming your way on Friday. The programme was produced by Laura Kramer with mixing and editing by Jack Dewars. You can listen again and find out more about the show at monocle.com or follow us and catch up with the archive via your preferred podcast platform. To contact the team, drop me a note or get in touch with Laura. You can email her on lrk at monocle.com. I'm Tom Edwards. Goodbye and thanks for listening to the entrepreneurs.